Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. Good to be here. Um, yeah, my name is uh, Matthew Von Stein, and I'm on the teaching team here at Grace Fellowship, the director of Young Life here uh, in Southern York in York and Adams County. And my wife and three boys call Grace Fellowship our home. Uh, and I'm really uh, happy to continue our uh, Advent series from Manger to Majesty with you um, as we talk about uh, Advent, this idea of uh, coming, this idea of celebrating uh, Christ uh, coming to us as a child and all that that means for us, also us celebrating uh, what it means that Christ will come again and that God will wrap up all of history uh, and uh, take away every tear uh, and restore uh, with his people this shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. But we also, in between those two realities, uh, pause to celebrate Advent now. And we celebrate Christ's presence with us now and what that means for us. We've heard a message on faith. We've heard a message on hope. And last week, uh, Jeff gave us a message on joy. Then this week, I get to share with you about peace. And I was uh, sitting where you were sitting uh, last week as Jeff gave uh, his message on joy. And I had, uh, and I typically do this, um, I wrote my message uh, a couple weeks ahead of time. I don't know how Jeff does it every week. Uh, I usually, I'm like, all right, I'm going to preach in a couple months. I'm going to start now, you know, and I'm barely done by the time I'm ready to, but he, uh, he was, he was there, uh, Jeff was up there speaking and uh, he started uh, introducing his message and I was like, in, in my seat, my wife is kind of nodding her head and I was like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. That, that's, that's a little bit like how I was going to introduce peace, um, but that's fine. You know, that's, that's not a big deal. It's just the introduction. You know, it's great. I'm, I'm sure he's not going to, it's not going to, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, what are the things that get in the way of peace? He's not going to talk about the way that things that get in the way of joy. Okay, he's going to do that. Okay, he's going to talk about, he's talking about the way that things get in the way of joy. That's fine. That's fine. Because joy and peace, they're not the same. They might be parallel or they, you know, they might share some things. But like, I'm going to talk about how anxiety and what, oh, that's his first point. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, good, good. Nah, this is, this is, you know, I'm just like, you know, ripping my, and, uh, and, and I'm like starting to sweat a little bit, and um, we, we, my wife and I, we got in the car, and uh, Michelle just goes, that was incredible, and I'm like, I, I know, all right, okay, I know it was good, and she's like, okay, all right, ease up, you know, back to square one. You guys thankful for Jeff's message last week? I was. And we talked about joy. I know you've heard uh, this before, Isaiah chapter 9. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What is peace? Isaiah wrote that, uh, pro the prophet Isaiah wrote that 700 years before Jesus would be born to a hurting Jewish people, that there would come a, a prince of peace. He said this to a people who were so desperate for the shalom of God to be restored. Because when God created everything, there was, the, the Bible describes it to us as this perfect shalom, this perfect peace, this perfect unity between, between creator and creation, and yet that had been broken. 
sin and death had entered into the world, and the Jewish people were hoping and longing for a prince of peace. And 700 years later, Jesus would come. You guys ever get impatient about having to wait for anything? I didn't send my text immediately? Well, my life is awful. That person didn't go immediately when the light turned green. I will now honk at them. It has been three milliseconds. Millis is that a thing? Yeah. And yet, shepherds in a field, you know, 700 years later, to a bunch of poor, you know, shepherds, this angel would say, peace on earth and goodwill to men. And we begin to hear the account of Jesus Christ coming in the world as a baby. And Jeff so beautifully last week talked about how, like, from our standards, like, it's not exactly like a really peaceful situation, right? You think about Mary and Joseph and King Harry and all of these things that were going on all around. They're in a stable. The baby is in a manger. You know, and I know we, we sing these songs and it's so beautiful, like, you know, all was calm. Like, was it? You know? It was kind of crazy. Where's the peace in that? Or what does it mean? I mean, Jesus as an adult would say, peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. That's what Jesus told his disciples. All right, well, let's look at the life of the disciples. What would happen after Jesus was gone and left them his Holy Spirit, and they were the rock of the beginning of the church, every single one of them, almost every single one of them, would be killed for their faith. What does peace mean? What is this peace that Jesus is offering us? How is it different than faith and hope and joy? You know, I had a coworker ask me the other day, like, hey, like, I'm, you know, because you know, we talk about, like, for some reason, during Christmas, we all of a sudden are just fine admitting to one another that we're all stressed out, okay? We act like it's just because it's Christmas, but it's not. We're just always stressed, and we just all talk about it during Christmas. <laughs> Someone asked me, like, hey, you know, where's your, what's your peace scale right now, like from 1 to 10? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never thought of it that way. Uh, like uh, a 5, a 6, I don't know. I just feel this pressure anytime a Christian asks me that. I'm like, I think I have to say at least 7. Can't go higher than 8. Is, it, yeah. is that what peace is? Is it a scale? Is it something we can have like a little bit of or a lot of? I think sometimes we equate peace with comfort. You know, do I feel relaxed? Is the world around me ordered the way I want it to be? Do I have comfort? A beach chair and a sunset? You know, a fireplace and a book and a cup of coffee? Is that peace? Is it peace when just for once in a millennia all three of my children are sleeping at the same time? Is that peace? <laughs> Biblically, yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is that what peace is? You know, if I were to ask you to think about, and you didn't join me in this, but like if I were to ask you to think about like if you're just kind of gut reaction, like what's the one thing that you think right now is maybe stealing peace from your life, causing you fear and anxiety? You know, if you were to imagine it, whatever it is, if you were to draw an image of it in your head right now, 
What is it? You know, I think one of the things that sort of unifies all of us is I bet you, when I said that, if you thought of something, you've maybe thought of a place, a couple things. Maybe one of them is a place, a workplace, or your home is causing you anxiety or fear or doubt or worry, or a workplace that you just feel like you're miserable. Or maybe some of you thought just about a, uh, not just a place, but maybe a pace that you're in right now. You know what I mean? That man, just the, 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 the way our lo- my life is ordered right now, the, 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 the energy and the time, all the, all the things that are going on, like this pace is just killing me. Or maybe when I asked you what's stealing your peace, you thought of a person. If you did, keep your eyes right here. Right, right, don't, don't look left or right, okay? You know, a little elbow, you know. Maybe you thought of a person. Or maybe you just thought of a particular problem that just won't go away. But then i got to ask you, is peace just us, you know, addressing all of these things? Is peace always just right around the corner? You know what I mean? So if you, if you thought about a place, is it like, man, when I, when I move to that new place, when I, when I get out of here and go to the new place, and once I get settled there and meet new friends and have a new life there, then I'll feel peace. So it's not now, it's later, and I'll get that. If you thought about a pace, maybe it's like, look, when it's the end of this project, when I get to the end of this, or when my kids get a little bit older, right, and when it's a little bit crazy, and that's never true, right, and, and like, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, it's when the season is over, and then I'll feel peace. Or maybe it's this person, you know, once, my, once this relationship is reconciled, once this is fixed, then I'll feel peace. Or once this person just goes away and is out of my life, and then I'll feel peace. Or maybe once that person apologizes me for that thing that they did, or they, or they get the justice that they deserve. Once I taste that, feel that, you know, then I'll feel peace. Or once this problem goes away, whether it's our health or any number of things, once that is fixed, addressed, or I can get my arms around it and feel like I've got some control around it, then I'll feel peace. Is that what peace is? It's always this thing that's right around the corner. It's always just kind of right out of our grasp, out of our reach. I, I read there, there, are, um, there are right now the CDC reported uh, in the United States, uh, 40 million Americans diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. And those are just the 40 million that were willing to go seek help for it at, with a doctor. I don't think that encompasses everyone, right? What is wrong with our peace? So what does peace mean to you? Maybe if you've, maybe you've equated it with some of these things like I have. And so you've never really thought of peace any differently outside of comfort or outside of a problem being solved or something that will happen once summer comes or once this relationship. If, if that's the way you've always thought about peace is this idea of tranquility or quiet. But what if it's different than that? You know, because I, to be honest with you, I feel a little bit unqualified to talk about peace because ever since I was young, I tell you, and when I was studying this, my God so convicted my heart because ever since I was young, I feel like I am one of the most easily shaken people out there. It, it is so easy for me to feel unsettled. And you might not see it, or it might not come out in, in a couple of ways, but inside, I mean, I just feel like I'm, I, I always 
was quick to worry, always quick to anxiety, always quick to fear. I mean, I remember I would, I would lay in my bed when I was a kid. I would lay in my bed when I was a kid, and I would just fantasize about rejection or what it would be like if the people who loved me were gone or died. I would just think about what it would be like if I was just lonely or disconnected. And because it's like I had this brain that was like, especially, you know, at night, our brains are so great. It's, oh, you're exhausted. Let's think about inner dread, you know, right before <laughs> we go to sleep. But I would. And it's like, I, I feel like I have this mind that the minute, like, I begin to experience some calm or peace in my life, my brain's like, hey, you want to fear something stupid? Or maybe it's just because I feel like I've never been able to face things in my life very well. Like, and I wish I would say that it went away. Like, like when I got older into college and I got married, like it didn't go away. I remember when we had our firstborn, Jacob. And, you know, it is so natural, of course, for new parents when they come home. You know, it's like you don't know what to do because it's so fragile. You know, you think it's just this fragile, you know, you're changing its diaper and you think you're going to break it, you know. You know, and then by your third one, you're just like, ah, you know, here you go. You know, whatever. I've never thrown a child. Don't, I've, I've never. It's just, it's figurative. But listen. But I remember that, you know, we, we would be in our, in, in our bedroom and we had a crib like in our room and Jacob would be sleeping. Uh, and the, in, in the instant Jacob fell asleep as an infant, my wife was, you know, she's sleeping 10 seconds later, right? Because um, I don't know what that is. Excuse me. Okay. That noise. All right. Um, but but the, the instant that Jacob would uh, fall asleep, Michelle would be out. And she would fall asleep instantly because she's exhausted because, you know, she um, did uh, everything, you know. So, so she would constantly uh, fall, fall asleep. But, you know, I remember that I would lay there and I would listen to every single one of Jacob's breaths. And if you know anything about, like, infants, like, they breathe like maniacs. You know, like, like oh, I'm just going to stop breathing for 10 seconds. You know, oh, now I will resume. But you know what? <laughs> like, here's the thing. I was not listening to Jacob's breast because I was just delighting in this little guy, right? I was listening to his breast because I feared that if I fell asleep, he'd stop breathing. Instead of delighting in him, I couldn't sleep. Honestly, God, I could not sleep. Every time my kids and my wife get into the car without me, you know where my head goes, right? Catastrophizing, like this is going to be the last time I see them. And I just, I, like when they're gone, I just, like, I'm constantly worried about it. That's why I feel a little unqualified. Sometimes when I'm in the car and I'm just, I, I'm, I'm left to, to my own thoughts, I just start preparing for conversations in the future for where my children will have rejected me or worse God. And I'm preparing what I was gonna, what I'm gonna do in those circumstances. And so then by the time I get home, instead of just delighting in my kids and delighting in my family, now my time with them and the love that I give them, in my mind, I'm just making deposits into this bank account of good outcomes for their future. Because I'm just so scared of what's gonna happen. Do I sound like a guy who's had a lot of peace? <laughs> And yet, here's my comfort. One, I know I'm not alone. I might be a little crazy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> here's the thing. 
as we look into God's word, here's what we see is God teaching us incredible things through unqualified people like me and you all the time, all throughout Scripture. And I think that sometimes we think that maybe someone who stands on this stage or someone who might lead a particular ministry or some of those people that we look to to teach us or guide us or lead us are like, yeah, those are the people that have figured it out. But I'm going to tell you, when I was studying for this, I, I feel like I am in the midst of a journey of learning and discovering what peace is with God. And I'm inviting you this morning to join me. I want to share with you a story about Jesus that I know many of you have heard. Of course, you know, when Jesus would go and call his, uh, his, his disciples, his first disciples, and you talk about unqualified people, Jesus went and uh, went to the shore where there were a bunch of poor fishermen. You know, the people that everyone expected that Jesus was going to ask to have, you know, have follow him and just flip the entire world upside down, right? No. He goes and he calls these disciples, he's teaching this crowd, there's always a crowd around Jesus, and he inconveniences these fishermen and stands in their boat and he's teaching the crowd, and then he turns to the fishermen, Peter included, and looks at them and says, hey, follow me, uh, and you're going to be fishers of men, uh, let's go. And it, the Bible says that they dropped what? Everything and followed him. There was something about just the aroma of Christ. That, that his, his power, his love, his strength, there was just something about being around him, all of those things that they were willing to leave behind uh, their, their place of comfort, their places of control, their places uh, that they understood for survival and meaningful and where they had placed their identity and all of these things. And so they followed Jesus. And let me tell you, they didn't just leave everything behind, though. There is one thing they took with them. And they did take their expectations with them. What it was going to be like to follow Jesus their expectations or even their misconceptions of who Jesus was and what he was about or the way that he was going to do things or the way he wasn't going to do things and their expectations of what their role was going to be in it and through it and around it. And boy, did these disciples get to see some stuff, right? Man, they got to see Jesus uh, look at this crowd of 5,000 and feed them with a few loaves and a few fish and invite them to feed that crowd. They got to see Jesus who walked up to a leper and touch his skin, skin on skin, and heal him. Rub mud in someone's eyes and make them see. Tell a, a paralytic to stand and walk. But it wasn't just the demonstration of his power in love in those things with our bodies and all of that. It was also just the way he spoke with authority about life. You know, there was just something, people said, who is this man who speaks and speaks with such authority that he would talk about not just loving our neighbors, but seeing our enemies the same way we love our neighbors and loving them the, way, the same way we love ourselves. He talked about outsiders and outcasts, people who were different religiously, people who were different politically, people who were, were enemies culturally. All of these things, he talked about them differently. He talked about children. And said, no, 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 don't push them to the side. I want to see them. He talked about women in a way that would bring honor to them. And all of that, he was just flipping people's expectations down all the time. And then all of a sudden, he did something a little bit different. All of these things that, 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 that the disciples saw, and they're standing on the shore. And Jesus goes, hey, guys, um, listen, I want you to get into this boat and go out ahead of me. I'm not going to be with you right now. Um, go ahead and go. And this is what Scripture says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, 
uh, while he dis- dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And I lost my place. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell them to come to me on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. Are you listening? And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is living and active, Lord, that your spirit is present here with us now. And God, I pray for everyone that's here, no matter why they're here, no matter who brought them and what brought them in, God, I pray that you would meet us right where we are and that you would teach us something new about you and that we would learn something new about ourselves, God, and that we would fall more deeply in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, Jesus did something that was a little bit different. They were kind of, they were used to being side by side with him and he's, he puts them into the boat and uh, they, they go out and of course, uh, you know, there's, there's a point here to be made that I think we really need to, listen, the, the whole time that I'm telling you as I, as I kind of recount this story, you've, you've just got to imagine that this, this storm, right, the wind and, and, and waves and the rain and all of this stuff in the middle of the night, right, and, and so these fishermen get into this boat and they are out in the middle of the lake and they are caught by surprise by this incredible storm right? It says the wind was against them. I, I, I love that language as we continue to unpack it. But like, you know, they're, they're literally uh, scared for their lives. And listen, it's easy for someone like, again, me, you put me in the boat and like just when the, the boat rocks when someone else gets in the boat, I'm like, oh, we're going to die. Okay? But listen, this is a bunch of fishermen that this is what they've been doing since they were, you know, uh, probably children or young men, uh, and they are young men, and, right? And, but they're fishermen, and they have confidence out on the sea, and yet these are people, uh, these fishermen in this moment, in this storm, that they think that they're going to die. So this is a big storm, right? And, and it is so hard, I think, sometimes for us to to get here and, 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 to, and to get our minds in the minds of these disciples. But it says that they, they thought they were going to die. They're fearing for their lives. And you just imagine, right? You just imagine what's going through some of their heads, right? They're, they're recounting some of the last things that they said to their loved ones or the, the last images or things in their minds of the people that are important to them or the things that they said about Jesus. And then as they think about Jesus, right, in the middle of this, they're just grabbing onto this boat. It's rocking. The water is coming in. They, they think they're going to die. 
by and they're remembering like, man, you know, it was really great to see Jesus multiply loaves. It was really great to see him heal lepers. And it was really great to, to, to hear and listen to his authority about life and love and different. But man, it would be really nice if that power and that authority was with us now. You know, it'd be really nice if we had access to it now in the middle of this storm. Like, where is he? We could really use Jesus. And the problem is that we're in the middle of the lake and there's no way for him to get to us. And then Jesus, being Jesus, knows and sees them while he's praying and sees what's going on and says that he goes out to them on the lake. Look, Christians, look, I know Jesus walking on water is pretty ubiquitous on a Sunday morning, right? We've heard it before, but it's awesome, okay? It's really cool, all right? Jesus could have done this a million different ways, but he's like, now I'm going to walk on the lake, okay? And so he walks out to them. And while they're all there, right, while they're all in this boat and they're fearing for their lives and it's pitch black, they see this figure, right? And, 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 what, and, and when they see this figure, how do they respond? They respond in fear, right? And all throughout Scripture, right, we respond in fear a lot, okay? All right? And, and as you just read, like, just because of the, the sin and brokenness of the world, we, we respond in fear. And then God's like, hey, I'm going to show up, and here's my presence. And then we see God's presence, and we're like, ah, that's kind of scary too, you know? And so we're just like a lot of fear, you know? And so, um, and so they're scared, and Jesus does this thing. He goes, hey, he goes, he, he says it all the time. Don't be afraid. He goes, it is I. He uses the same language that Moses used, in the, uh, that God used in the burning bush with Moses. This, this I am. Don't be afraid. I am. And they know that it's Jesus. I mean, what are they thinking? There he is. Man, we thought he couldn't get to us, but there he is. But something, something was a little bit different about Peter, though. Right? Because Peter locks eyes with Jesus, and I think the minute that Peter locked eyes with Jesus and Jesus with him, I think Jesus started to grow. Maybe, I don't know, it doesn't say it, so this is just conjecture, but this little smile on his face, you know? Because Jesus knows about what's about to go down, okay? Peter looks at this boat, looks at this sea, and goes, this boat sucks. I'm, I'm going to die in this thing. He looks at the storm, and then he looks at Jesus. And he looks back at this boat, and he's like, you know what? This thing kind of makes me feel like I'm in control, and that I can survive. But the truth is, this is nothing compared to the ocean. Uh, this can't save me. I'm really not in control of what's going on right now. And then he looks at Jesus, at the Son of Man walking on water in the middle of a storm. And Peter says, hey, Jesus... If that's you, call me out. And I think the other disciples were like, yeah, what? <laughs> you know, because I think the other disciples would have been like, no, 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 no. Hey, Jesus, um, make the storm go away. Jesus, make the storm go away, right? Genie in the bottle, come here, make the storm go away. Or like, come over here, like maybe we'll bring the boat closer to Jesus and Jesus can like patch the boat and we can start to feel comfortable again. Maybe make, make it the walls a little bit higher. What are you talking about going to him out? Oh, he's climbing over the boat. Okay, see it. And Peter, and Jesus goes, what, do you, what does Jesus say? I love it. You know, come, come on. 
I, I picture my son, uh, you know, in the swimming pool on the edge of the, you know, at the edge of the pool, and you're looking down at mom or dad, and you're like, you know, you're like, can I jump, dad? Will you catch me? And as a dad or a mom, you just love this because, you know, you love to see the nervousness and excitement kind of combined, and you're like, yeah, come on, let's go, I got you. And Peter, looking at Jesus, grabs the edges of the boat, and he steps out, and he puts his weight down on the water, and he doesn't sink. And he's still holding on to the boat. And he puts his other foot down. And I don't know all the things that were going on in Peter's head. And I don't know what was going on in his heart. I don't know what he thought. I am so sorry about this microphone, by the way. If I, will, I will use it. If someone brings me a handheld, I will use that so that that stops happening. Because um, I'm dying inside every time it happens. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but listen, I, I don't know what was what was going on with him. Guys, give it up for Jesse. Jesse, thank you so much. All right. Okay. Hey, everybody. I'm Matthew Von Stein. Good morning. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about. Uh, all right. Listen, like I said, I don't know what was going on in his heart and in his mind, but here's what I know. As like any human being, right, while he's grabbing on the boat and he's got his weight on the water, and I don't know if he thinks that he's the one holding himself up. I don't know if he thinks, like, I don't know. But all I know is that Peter's thinking this, like, this is awesome. You know, and it's scary because those things can happen at the same time. Like, this is, this is incredible. And he does this crazy thing eventually where he lets go of the boat. And he's standing there, and he gets his eyes on Jesus. And he starts walking towards Jesus. And what an incredible scene. Do you still hear the wind, the rain? I mean, they're all soaking wet. I don't know if, like, he could see Jesus, and then he didn't because the waves are, you know what I mean? Like, like, I think sometimes when we see, like, Jesus walking on the water, we just think that everything's flat. But I think it was nuts. You know what I mean? But that wasn't it. You know, he, he had his eyes on Jesus, and yet, and yet he took his eyes off of Christ. The, the winds and the waves, they were huge. And he started to sink. You know, and I don't think Jesus standing there went like, ah. like, all right, nice try. Next. You know? No, I don't think so. I, I think Jesus knew exactly what was going to go down. Because the next part, I think, is the whole point. Peter starts to sink, and he doesn't say, like, boat, save me, or disciples, jump in here with me, save me. He does the only thing he knows to do in this moment, the only thing that can really save him. What's he do? He says, Lord, save me. And it says, immediately, what does it, Jesus reached down, and he pushes his head under the water, and he's like, ah, like, <laughs> learn your lesson. No, no way. It says immediately, it doesn't even say that Peter took a hold of Jesus. It says immediately Jesus took a hold of Peter and held on to him. And I'm going to be honest with you, like when I was prepping this message, I was like, you know, I want to have like the four points of peace. You know, you guys walk and you got point one, point two, like here's what's going on. But you know what, guys? When I got to this point of Peter looking up at Jesus, soaking wet in the middle of the storm, having cried out to him and Jesus holding on to him, and I'm like this, I, I think that this is peace. It does, it's, not, it's not the kind of peace that the world would define, and I think that's what Jesus meant when he says the world can't give this to you. This is a peace that doesn't make sense. 
That's why the Bible says it's a peace that goes beyond understanding. That this is what peace is. That peace isn't our circumstances. That the peace isn't us being able to order our life. But peace is knowing and being in the presence of Christ in the middle of a storm and crying out to him and knowing that he has got you. You might not be able to grab onto him as much as you'd like or do it as well. But you know what? His grip, I think Jesus had a good grip. Peter, even your little bit of faith is enough because I'm Jesus. I've got you. I'm the son of man. So I got to this point in my sermon, and I said, well, that's my point. My point is that, is that peace is the, the prince of peace. It's Jesus Christ. You know, the quote that says, you know, uh, peace is not the absence of storms, but the presence of Christ. I like that. But, you know, we always have the presence of Christ. And so it's not just the absence of storms, and it's not just the presence of Christ, but it's us knowing, aligning, and seeing it, and, 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 and believing it, and taking a hold of it. So then, what could I do to help you, to help me think through, what does it mean for me, then, to experience that kind of peace? Because that's not really initially what I was thinking, God. It's just to rewind a little bit and get back in the boat and say, at some point, Peter had to realize that the boat that he was in was not going to save him. The boat wasn't good. The boat wasn't bad. It's just that the boat couldn't be God for Peter. So what is it for you? And one of the ways to know what your boat is, is that when the winds and the waves come and they buffet against the sides and you start rocking, you start getting full of fear and anxiety and worry. If, you're, if the place of control in your life where you feel comfortable, as long as I have this under control, if it's approval, then someone's rejection is going to create great fear in my life. If, if, my, if my boat is my success or the money that I make or me being able to provide a particular lifestyle for myself or for my family, and when I don't get the promotion or when I go through financial uh, uh, you know, uh, issues or when I don't have the money or when I have bills that I don't expect and I'm not able to do what I thought I was going to do or people don't see me as successful as the way I want and I'm full of fear and doubt because I've placed my identity, my future, my hope, and my purpose in this stinking boat. If it's my beauty... As long as people see me the way I want to see them, as long as when I look in the mirror, I like what I see, as long as I have that, I'll be okay. Maybe my boat's my children's future. No, it, it doesn't mean that these things are not important. It just means that as long as I feel like I've got it under control, then I'll be okay. What's your boat? And what are we supposed to do? Because what Peter began to realize is that, man, none of these things can be God. And what's so crazy about the gospel is every single one of us, irreligious or religious, every single person on planet Earth is living in a boat like this. And, is, and listen, I don't think the waves and the, and the wind, I don't think that's just the bad things that happen in life. I think the storm is just life. As life just reveals to us that we're not in control. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, how can a God that made me, who's so removed and so far from me, understand what it is like for me to do this? And the beauty of the gospel, and it flipped the whole world upside down, is God said, I'm not far removed. I'm going to come, I'm, and I'm going to send my son as, as a child. And he's going to walk onto the seas of your life. 
right on top of it. So that we would see and that we would realize that, man, this boat doesn't save me. Only Jesus can do that. And what does it look like for us as believers to begin to let go of this illusion that I can control all of these things in my life when I can't? And to begin to look at him more and more every day. I'm going to surround myself with people who love him and know him and remind me of who I am in him. I'm going to continue not just to go to church, but I want to participate in it and, and be involved in it so that I can just continue to wash myself in just the, the, the community and the people of God. I'm going to read God's word and his truth, uh, and I'm going to continue to pursue him. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to learn what it means to listen to him and not just talk at him, and I'm going to pursue him, and I'm going to continue to let go of this boat and, 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 and move towards him. And I fear that sometimes there are so many of us that we, we sit in this boat and we've come to the point where the storms and just life has given us that reality of we're not in control and we're just waiting to feel the right thing in order to put more trust in Christ. That, man, if, if my faith would start to look like Jeff Smith's faith, or if I would be able to worship like some of those other people worship, or maybe if I could just get some of these spiritual habits that I've been working on for the past 30 years, like once I get that devotional down every morning, I think I'll be able to begin to trust Jesus more. And we just keep sitting here in this place of discontentment where this is just not working for us and waiting for us to feel something. But here's what I can tell you Peter did. Peter took everything that he knew about himself, and he took everything that he knew about Jesus, and it was enough for him just to begin to step out. I'm going to start to trust Jesus more with my life. And I'm not going to ever believe the lie again that this can save me. It can't save me. And you know what? It's not just the, it's not just the storms and it's not just the, the bad waves that kind of rock our boats in fear uh, that's dangerous. It's also really calm seas that are dangerous too. I'm never going to get lulled into this sleep of comfort that like I'm in control because I know I'm not. And is that it then for us as believers? No, because what we see with Peter is that as he gets closer and closer and puts more and more trust in Christ, what happens to Peter is that he begins to what? Sink. Oh, I thought I was doing the right thing. Why am I sinking right now? <laughs> you know what I've discovered, and I think many of you have discovered too? The more I, I allow Christ's life and love to illuminate different places in my life, the more I become acquainted with the sin in me and around me. The more I trust him more, the more he reveals things in our heart. But also, there's not, not only that, I feel like when I was in the boat and I thought I was God of my, my own life, the only enemy I had was God himself. And he's a really good enemy to have because he loves me and he pursues me and he loves me. But now that I've given my life to him and I'm beginning to get rid of this idea that I'm in control and I know that I need a savior, now I've got all these things that are rising up in opposition against my faith. I've got the world that tells me my identity is in my beauty and my identity is in the money that I have or my identity uh, is in the success or approval or whatever it is. And so I've got I've, I've to figure out how do I deal with that. And then in my own flesh, the part of me that wants to be God and does not want God to be God is constantly telling me that, 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 that my desires and the things that I want are more important than him and that I should head back this direction. And worse yet, I not only have the world and my own flesh uh, rising up in opposition against my faith, but I also have the enemy constantly just whispering lies in my ears and telling me things like, you call yourself a Christian? Do you remember when you did that? Do you remember those thoughts that you had? Do you remember those doubts that you had? You, you, you're not fit for Christ. You're, you're a, you're a cop-out. You're a hypocrite. When Peter did, the only thing that he knew how to do is he cried out to Jesus. He says, save me. Save me.
And I think that peace is when we realize that Jesus has got a hold of us and we look at him and we trust it and we believe it. I think that's peace. In the middle of the storm, in the middle of the chaos, calm seas or crazy seas, it's this idea that he's got me. And you know what? How many times do you think Peter had to learn this lesson? Over and over and over again. His expectations versus reality and then just the truth of who God is, right? Over and over again, we have to learn this. It is a personal journey. I'm telling you that I think peace is the person of Christ. And that's why it's a personal journey. We've got to figure this out over and over and over again because as I live my life, I just get new boats constantly. It's like now I got this boat called religion, right? So if I, as long as I do the right things and, and, you know, and you know what, but you know, doctrine can't save me. Legalism can't save me. It's only Jesus. I can't earn his love. Over and over again, I have to learn it. You know, and I think, for, like, what does that look like for us? I think in the life of a believer, really believing in the peace of God looks like this. It sounds like honesty, and it sounds like truth about who God is. God, my marriage is really hurting, and this is not the story that I would have written for my wife and I. But I'm going to call out to you and I'm going to trust you. God, that you are good. You love me. I'm going to trust in your control. And God, we're going to cry out to you together. God, this isn't the story I would have written. God, I, I really wish that this health issue that I have would go away. God, I'm, going to, I'm never going to stop praying that you would heal me. I know that you love me, and I know that my pain is your pain too. But God, even if you don't heal me, I know that you're good, and I love you. That's peace. Do you hear it? You know, you ready for this? Those of you that are sitting here and feel this way, hey, God, I don't know if I care about you. God, if I'm honest, I don't know how much desire I have for you in my life. But here's the thing. I know that you're God. And I know that you love me. And so, God, I'm going to pray that you would grow in my heart a greater and bigger desire to know you and love you. Because you know what? Any faith I have is a gift. So, God, I'm asking you to grow my heart for you. I don't want to be apathetic and I don't want to be numb. I want to love you and know you. I trust you. And I'm not going to wait to feel it. I'm going to just step out in obedience towards you. That's peace. God, I, I don't know. Hey, yeah. And for me... Can I tell you what's true for me? For peace, something that I just, just in writing this message, God, my kids are six, four, and two, and yet I just never stop worrying about what their future is going to be like. I'm actually not over, overly concerned about how much money they make, you know, or like some of their comforts, but God, I'm just so worried that they're going to reject you. I'm just so worried that like, I, that I'm going to do a bad job at this, but God, you know what's true? Their salvation is not on my shoulders. And so, God, I'm going to ask that you would pursue them, that you would help me in my role as a dad, that I would guide them, and I would continue to encourage the sides of them that love you and trust in you. But, God, I know that their outcome is in your hands, and I'm going to trust you. I think that's peace. And the reason that I think that we can hold on to something like that it's because Peter, you know, Jesus wouldn't just pull Peter out of the water. 
Like if that was all that Jesus did, it was like, well, how does that help me through the rest of my life? And again, Peter would have to have his expectations broken, that it would be more than that. Because while Jesus did practically pull Peter out of the water and got back into the boat and said, come on, let's do life together. What Jesus would do is to say, I'm going to do that now. But you know what I'm going to do really soon when I turn my eyes towards Jerusalem? I'm not just going to pull you out of the water, Peter. I'm going to go into the depths of sin so that you could know your Father in heaven. That's why you can trust me. That's why you can believe in what I'm telling you, that that can't save you, and I can, and I'm going to do what it takes so that you would know me. And we, that when God looks at you, he sees me, and therefore we begin to experience the shalom of God. Nothing broken, nothing missing. In the midst of the storm, soaking wet. I remember uh, when Evan, our, our third, uh, was born, um, and uh, we, I, I got to carry him uh, over to this uh, table, and uh, the doctors and nurses were checking him, and I had two other children before, and I kind of knew, knew the process. It was normal. And uh, the, you know, another nurse came in the room, and then like another nurse, and like a normal dad, I'm like, that's enough of you, what's, you know, like, what's going on, you know? And the nurse, hey, nothing, it's fine. His, his heart rate just isn't where it needs to be right now. I was like, okay, fix it. And, uh, and they were checking this. I'm like, hey, is that okay? Well, he's, he doesn't, he's not getting enough oxygen right now. His, his breathing's a little bit off. I'm like, okay, uh, okay. And uh, his temperature is a little bit low. You know, this lamp um, is trying to keep him warm, but his temperature is a little bit low. And I was like, cool. Um, so you're going you're gonna to fix everything, right? Like, just fix it. Fix it. Fix it. And the nurse was like, hey, actually, what we're going to do um, is we're just going to get him back with mom real quick. And so she unwrapped him. Uh, you know, un unwrapped him. I'm like, okay. And uh, took him back over to my wife and laid Evan on my wife's chest. And he snuggled in, one minute old. And his temperature goes up. His breathing is restored. The nurse knew. She knew what she was doing. And I think we're a lot like that too. What's peace? Peace is us being restored in close proximity to our Savior. Look, we can spend a lot of time in the boat and believe a lot of things about Jesus, right? Oh, Jesus is so good. Jesus is so mighty. But I'm going to live my whole life thinking that this is where life is. But I think for us that peace is us resting on him in close proximity to him. God, this isn't the story that I would have written, but I'm going to trust you because I love you. So what is it for you? What boats give you this illusion of control? And what would it look like for you to trust Jesus more and more, even if it's not the story you would have written? Even if you're getting soaking wet, would you trust him in the, his good and wise control of your life? Because he, Jesus Christ, would go into the depths of sin for us on the cross. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together to recognize that.
the worship team is going to lead us in worship. And as the ushers pass out the elements, uh, make sure you take uh, both cups that are in there, uh, and then we'll continue together. Let's worship. <laughs>